We are returning to the sermon series through the book of Acts. We are picking up at chapter 16. You may remember that prior to uh, Palm Sunday, we concluded Acts chapter 15, at which point in the historical narrative, Paul and Barnabas separate, and Paul <coughs> chooses another uh, companion, Silas, to go with him. And so in Acts chapter 16, we are beginning the second uh, missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And let me just say, um, as I've said before, I've, I've, I've never been... Um, uh, I've, I've never been one to, to look at all these details, the chronology, the geography, uh, very closely, not nearly as closely as I should have, but I've been spending a lot of time in the back of my Bible looking at the maps, and I got to go back and I look at this map and this map, and it, you know, it, it really may help you uh, if you get lost in the geography and the, the chronology of it, and, it, and it, it pulls together so much of the New Testament if we're able to, as it were, track with Paul's missionary journey. So I encourage you in that way for your own personal study. Let's turn now to listen to the Word of God from Acts chapter 16. As we do, let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of His holy Word. Our Father, we give you thanks that you have sent your Son into the world for the redemption of the world and that He, by the power of your word and spirit is building your church, your kingdom, throughout all the earth. We ask you now to bless this reading and hearing of the word that it might speak to our hearts, pierce our hearts, convict us, more deeply convert us, more thoroughly consecrate us, so that we will respond to Jesus' call to live as his disciples. We pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Let us hear the word of God. It is written. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, 
come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Although we might not, probably don't think about it every day, it is impossible. It is impossible to understand the existence and the history of the United States of America apart from the indelible influence of the Christian faith upon Western Europe. Christianity didn't just pop up in North America out of nowhere. It came from what we call Western Europe. And today in Acts 16, with Paul's second missionary journey, we arrive at the place where it all began in Western Europe in Philippi, Philippi of Macedonia, what we would call modern-day Greece. Paul and his new companion, Silas, departed from Antioch in Syria and came back to Derbe and then Lystra in modern central Turkey, where Paul and Barnabas had already been, you remember, on their first missionary journey. And Acts 16 verse 1 says that in Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, a Gentile. Timothy and his mother, and as we shall see, his grandmother, who were Jewish, had become believers in Jesus through Paul's preaching during his first missionary journey, Acts chapter 14. And yes, this young Timothy from Lystra would eventually become the pastor of the church in Ephesus to whom Paul wrote the two New Testament letters known as 
first and second Timothy. But their close personal relationship began right here in Lystra, recorded in Acts 16. But there's a backstory about Timothy that I want you to know. In his second letter to Timothy, as the Apostle Paul encourages the young pastor, he expresses his confidence in Timothy with these words. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Let me repeat 2 Timothy 1, 5. I am, re- I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. That is Paul's affirmation of the covenant faithfulness of God to true believers and their children. In that verse, Paul was affirming the biblical principle that the home, the family environment, the nuclear family, is the primary God-ordained place and context for the transmission of true faith to the next generation. This is a biblical truth found in both the Old and the New Testaments. So, parents and grandparents, are you connecting with this? This is about you. Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice were devout Jewish women. They had been true believers in God under the Old Covenant. They knew and put into practice scriptures such as Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That means training your children in godliness every day, all day. Timothy had grown up in that kind of home in which at least his grandmother and his mother were devout and faithful Jews who raised him to love and obey God. 
Lois and Eunice knew scriptures and put them into practice, such as from Psalm 103. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. And from Psalm 79, We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. You remember this. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice understood that God's desire, God's intention, what God seeks, what God seeks in bringing husband and wife together in the union of marriage is godly offspring. Malachi 2.15, godly offspring. God seeks godly offspring from the marriages among His covenant people. God wants His people to bear children and a bunch of them and raise them to know and love and worship and serve and obey Him, the one and only true and living God, for their own good and for His own glory. Godly offspring, that's what God seeks in the marriages of His people. Now, parents, that's God's call and command to you today. Grandparents, as God enables you, as His providence allows, you also have a role to play in the spiritual nurth, spiritual growth and nurture of your children. Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice had raised Timothy intentionally and deliberately to be a godly man. They had been faithful in their calling. How do we know this? We know this because in his second letter to Timothy, Paul goes on also to say to Timothy, quote, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. In Timothy's case, from his childhood, the sacred writings were the scriptures of the Old Testament. Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice had taught him God's Word from the time he was a child. But that Greek word translated into English as childhood can be and sometimes is translated as infancy, as in from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Interesting. In fact, it could be accurately translated technically from the womb. 
from the time you were as yet an unborn child, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You get the picture here? I think Timothy's mother Eunice probably sang psalms to him when he was still in her womb. And God was faithful. When young Timothy heard the apostle Paul preach the gospel, Timothy believed in Jesus because he knew the sacred writings which promised and prophesied the Messiah of Israel, and his heart had been plowed, tender, and receptive to the Word of God. So that's the backstory on Timothy. And I hope you can see the relevant application for us today. Those of you who are parents now raising children, I realize sometimes perhaps may <clears throat> think that I come across to you as though my hair is on fire uh, with concern about the discipleship of your children as they grow up in this ungodly, anti-Christ, perverse, perverted, corrupt, evil, darkened culture. And yes, I am concerned. And if you're not concerned, I'm concerned about you. But this passage from 2 Timothy about Lois and Eunice and Timothy gives you a great example and great encouragement and clear instruction. What your children need more than anything else. Because look, <laughs> they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they're, they're not gonna get the truth of God's word by osmosis in the culture. They're not going to get it by drinking the water and breathing the air. If you're as old as I am and older, you know, we got a little bit of it. We got a little bit, maybe, by drinking the water and breathing the air. Forget it. That ain't going to happen. That's not happening in America anytime in the foreseeable future. What your children need more than anything else is intentional, Deliberate, conscientious, committed, systematic, disciple-making in your home. It ain't about the youth group. It's just not. And by the way, statistics bear that out. It ain't about the youth group or the youth organization. If you want it to stick, it's got to be applied at home. Out loud and on purpose, 
in a joyful, cheerful, gentle, loving, encouraging, positive, upbuilding atmosphere with daily Bible reading, Bible memorization, age appropriate, catechism memorization. You can do that with fun and games. Family worship with hymns and prayers, meaningful prayers at family meals and before bed and before going to school and the reading of good and wholesome and spiritually edifying books, even among the children's classics. Daily conversations with your children about what's going on with them at school or otherwise and, and, and helping them to process their experiences and their feelings in the light of the gospel with biblical principles. And even having conversations about current events. For example, a very calm and reasonable and gentle and loving explanation of why you have now canceled your subscription to Disney Plus. Right? And why you're not going to let them see that movie, but instead, positively, introduce them to a children's classic movie which is either really funny or really heartwarming with biblical character-building themes and etc. and etc. and etc. when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Disciple-making every day, all day. That's God's call and command to you because that's how God brings and bestows His blessings upon your children's and your grandchildren's lives. Let's get real. Let's be honest, and if we need to, let's repent and start anew. That's what the gospel's all about, isn't it? Repenting and starting anew. Because dressing up and showing up every now and again on a Sunday morning, unless something more important or more convenient, or more fun comes along, that's not going to make true disciples. It's not going to produce godly young men and women in 21st century America. And no outside organization or youth group is going to fix that. Your children are not saved just by being born into your family. Rather, your family is the God-ordained primary environment in which your children are to be saved 
through faith in Jesus Christ as you parents, particularly especially you fathers, teach them the sacred scriptures and disciple them every day from the womb. Now, that's exactly, here's the good news, that's exactly the reason that we have called an associate pastor of family discipleship. That's his title, family discipleship. And if the Lord wills, Scott Cheatwood will be here soon, not, not, uh-uh, no, no, not to take your place in discipling your children, no, but to come alongside you, to help you to train you, to equip you, to encourage you, to disciple you so that you can better disciple your children and raise godly young men and women to the glory of God in the midst of this ungodly, antichrist, perverted, and evil culture in which they are growing up. Okay. Back to Acts 16. Timothy's father was a Gentile. And therefore, even though his mother Eunice was teaching him the Jewish scriptures, Timothy had never been circumcised. And so Luke tells us that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him on this missionary journey, and therefore Paul circumcised Timothy. Now this is all after the the big controversy at the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15. So why did he circumcise him? It was not because, not because circumcision was necessary for Timothy's salvation or his, his status, his good status in the church. No, rather Paul circumcised Timothy because the Jews in that region knew that Timothy's maternal family was Jewish. And, and therefore, Paul circumcised Timothy to avoid unnecessary controversy and misunderstanding and to remove whatever potential hindrance to Timothy's witness there might be among the Jews. So it was a, it was a matter of mission strategy. Just take, take that potential uh, point of confusion off the table. Well, now here we go. Paul and Silas and Timothy then made their way northwestward, central Turkey, northwestward from Lystra, across central Turkey. But verse 6 says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's kind of a strange verse, isn't it? Now that word Asia does not refer to places such as India or Japan or China. It refers to the westernmost region of Turkey, that westernmost peninsula, which uh, is often called Asia Minor. Okay. But, but what does it mean that they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word? How and why did that happen? Well, we don't, we don't know specifically. It may have been by way of a special revelation, a dream, or a vision, which Luke doesn't mention. It may have been by some other providential circumstance preventing them from going on to that western peninsula. In any case, it wasn't in the Lord's plan at them at that time for them to go into Asia Minor, where, for example, Ephesus is. 
But then again in verse 7, it, it says that when they had come up to Mycenae, that's up in the kind of the northern reaches, they attempted to go into Bithynia, that's due north, way up at the top of Turkey. But the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, did not allow them. So again, their mission plans changed because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, didn't allow them to go due north. Well, what's going on here? Well, again, let's just remember, the Lord has His plan and His timing, and He doesn't necessarily reveal everything to us when we want Him to, does He? As R.C. Sproul commented on this passage, one of the ways that God leads His people is by closing doors. Yeah. Now, some of you may remember that despite a long and diligent search process that began sometime in 2018 and throughout 2019 and into early 2020, we were not successful in calling either a ULM campus minister or then later a new associate pastor. And at the time, we couldn't understand why the Lord didn't provide someone to fill either position. Who wouldn't want to come and be associated with Covenant Presbyterian Church after all? Well, evidently, you see, and we were befuddled by this. We were befuddled. Evidently, the Lord was saying no to our great idea. Think about it. You got those dates? Think about what happened in the spring of 2020. You with me? You know, the fall of 2019 or early 2020 really wouldn't have been a great time to bring on either a ULM campus minister or another associate pastor, would it? We couldn't see what was coming for the next two years. But the Lord could. And now... Wouldn't you agree that June 2022 is a much better time for Scott Cheatwood and his family to arrive here? You see, if we're going to faithfully, if we are faithfully seeking to follow the Lord, He's going to get us where He wants us, when He wants us there, even though we don't know or control any of the details. And that's what's happened on Paul's second missionary journey. Having been prevented from going due north, Paul and Silas and Timothy turned to the west and went to Troas all the way to the western coast of Asia Minor on that peninsula that extends to the west. Now, I know, I know, I know your eyes are glazing over with all of this unfamiliar geography, and that's okay, fine, but this is what I want you to get. From Timothy's hometown in Lystra, via that circuitous route that the Lord took them on to Troas on the northwest coast of Asia Minor, it is, if I've calculated correctly, approximately 560 miles. 
That's 560 miles of rugged and in some areas mountainous terrain by foot. And there's no comment about how long it took or what happened along the way. Christian discipleship is like that, isn't it? Putting one foot in front of the other for the long haul on a lot of very ordinary and tiresome days when it's not easy and it's not exciting and it's not fun. Another whole sermon could be preached here, but the next time you get tired and weary following Christ, just think about that 560-mile hike across first-century Turkey. Well, then in Troas on the coast, Paul had a vision and saw a man of Macedonia, Greece, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Huh, okay. Now we see a little bit more of the picture. By, by preventing Paul from going into Asia Minor or up due north and sending him to the northwest, the Holy Spirit was ultimately directing him to Macedonia, modern-day Greece, to the continent we now call Europe. And it was at this point, did you hear it at verse 10, that Dr. Luke joined the mission team because in verses 10 and 11, he writes himself into the record using the pronoun we. Well, from Troas, they sailed across the Aegean Sea and then landed on the coast of modern Greece and made their way to Philippi, a Roman colony. And it was there in Philippi, as Paul preached the gospel, that the Lord opened the heart of a woman named Lydia. And she believed the gospel and was baptized and her household also. And thus, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church came to Western Europe. And here we are today because Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. But the rest of the story about Lydia and about the church in Philippi must wait until next Sunday. If the Lord wills, we will return to Acts chapter 16. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your wonderful ways of caring for us, and speaking your word to us, opening our hearts and our eyes by the power of your spirit. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to build up your church here in our midst and around the world. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Apostles' Creed, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty. 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.